0: been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement or even worse that you don't qualify because of where you started out that's just not true it's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy it's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it on the get ready for the future show we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today the journey to true financial independence begins right here and it starts with you
1: It is to get ready for the future show where we help you discover protect and share true financial independence and we do it by answering your questions if you've got one you can call or text them to us at this number 501-381-5228 again it's 501-381-5228 or send us an email show at get ready for the future Dot com. Each week, our team looks through those questions and we'll use your question on the air and talk about them. We've got four every week that we discuss and we're going to dive in in just a moment. Welcome aboard. My name is Scott Inman, Janet Walker with me. I don't know when you'll be catching the Get Ready for the Future show, if it's on radio or if it's after the fact, but as we record today, Janet, it's Valentine's Day.
2: It is. And I did a little yeah. quick
1: financial spin on Valentine's Day. It's always interesting to me how much people spend on it. <laughs> This uh, Forbes article says U.S. consumers alone expected to spend $25.8 billion on Valentine's Day this year. 53% of consumers will celebrate and indulge on this holiday. The group that is most involved, age 25 to 34. So young people are keeping Valentine's Day alive.
2: I was just about to ask before you got to that age distinction there. I wonder how much of this spending is relative to are you married uh-huh. or not? Yep. And if you are married, how long have you been married? Yep. You know, and do you feel like, oh, yeah, we have got to go out on Valentine's Day or I'm going to be in trouble or or is it just like, I mean, honey, we can go out another time and skip the crowds, uh, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> I don't see a number on there, but I'm going to bet if you're not married, but you're dating, that's the person it's, it's that is, high. you yeah. cannot miss Valentine's that's right. Day. Because you're still in the courting process. That's right. We don't do gifts. We'll do a dinner uh, mm-hmm. and a card, right? Yeah. And, and that's, uh, I've actually been uh, texting my wife all day with little uh, links to songs. That's kind of my That's thought, cool. thoughtfulness That's cool. today. And so. I
2: mean, y'all are still newlyweds. That's true, too. You know? I mean, yep. yeah, yeah.
1: I'm a 50-year-old newlywed. Yeah. How's that for yeah. you?
2: It happens. <laughs> yeah. So
1: anyway, there's your little uh, tidbit or little stat of the day. $25.8 billion to be spent on Valentine's Day. So consumer spending is still driving the U.S. economy on Valentine's Day. No Valentine's Day questions, but we know they're questions you're going to love. How about that? First up today, it's Jackson via text message. He says, I'm 30. With $15,000 in Roth, I have 22000 in student loans. And in parentheses there, you see 5%, so that's the uh, interest rate. Should I pay $500 a month to my loans, Roth, or split it? Thanks for the question, Jackson. We're going to lean towards split it, and we're yeah. going to get into some numbers on why. But generally, let's set this up this way. We don't want debt. We'd love to get rid of the debt as soon as we can, but we also want you to prepare for retirement even at age 30, and we know how vital it is to get started and continue early on. It's more important, really, statistically speaking, than it is to start later in life and actually do it for a longer period of time, and we're going to get to that. But we've got some uh, some numbers here. We're going to crunch some numbers yeah. and do some math, Janet, on how splitting it could make a big difference in his overall Uh, financial situation.
2: So, Jackson, I'll be very transparent that we didn't have any magic behind how we chose to split this for you because we didn't know enough about like the rest of your life's picture and so we just talked about it and went, okay, if we want the student loan to be paid in 10 years, what does that need to look like and then whatever is left from this $500 a month that you have available, then we'll put that towards the Roth. So, we'll walk through those numbers But we can do the same thing if you wanted the student loan to be paid in a shorter period of time. So I I wouldn't stretch it longer than 10 because you just got to get it behind you. But that's how we came to the numbers that we have. So on the debt portion, I'll handle that first and then hand the Roth to you, Scott. So if you want that to be paid down in 10 years, if you would pay $233.34, now you can round that up, but we did the, the exact calculation on the 5%, so a little over $233 a month, that's going to get you to a total interest payment on the balance that you have, a total interest payment of just a little bit above Mm $6,000. So, again, that's spreading it out over 10 years. The shorter time period that you do this in, then the less you're going to pay in interest. But if you focus more on that debt, then you're going to give up some opportunity on the Roth side Scott, you want to go ahead and address that.
1: Yeah, so the headline part of that debt is if you took 10 years to pay it paying the 23334 a month, you'd pay about $6,000, a little bit more than that, but right at $6,000 in interest. So remember that number. Now, if you use the rest of that $500, we're going to say 267 a month to keep contributing to your Roth, and you told us that you had a $15,000 account value in that Roth today. So let's assume an 8% rate of return. Uh, as you continue to add 267 a month and that balance continues to grow. And we use 8% generally over a long period of time because that's historically about what the stock market or the S&P 500 index has uh, performed. Your obviously returns could be different depending on what you're invested in. But over 10 years with those numbers, your balance goes from $15,000 to $80,494. Now you've put in over that time frame. $47,040 with the 8% return, you've gained $33,454. And that is all tax free in retirement. So as you withdraw that, that's 80494 in 10 years, which is a long mm-hmm. way from you being in retirement, right? You're 30 years old now. That is tax free money sitting there. So when you think about that and comparing it to, oh, well, I did pay $6,000 in interest on that debt, By stretching it out over 10 years, you see how much difference uh, keeping the Roth contributions going can make.
2: You're still a net positive of $27,000 by Mm -hmm. focusing on the Roth, and the way we get to that number is if we've earned $33,000 but we've paid six thousand dollars in interest. Then just back that out, so that puts us net positive of twenty seven thousand. And I'd like to share a story with you, Jackson, about a couple of people. We'll call them Sue and Brad. And if you're if you're watching this instead of just listening, if you're watching this, there's a uh, a visual for you to kind of follow along on this. Let's say that Sue starts investing. a year at age 21. So the whole purpose of this is to see the difference in the time value of money. And the earlier that you start, Jackson, then the the better off you're going to be as far as those retirement assets are concerned. So Sue starts contributing $2,400 a year at age 21. She does that until age 30. Let's assume at age 30, she's got, I don't know, kids in daycare, whatever, things happen, and she stops contributing and no longer contributes to her retirement account, Brad, however, took the opposite approach. He did not contribute until age thirty, and at age thirty, he started contributing the same amount that Sue had been contributing—this twenty-four hundred dollars a year—and does that until almost age sixty, or, oh, until age sixty-eight, almost his entire life. He's contributing from age thirty to age sixty-eight, and then he stops. Which one has more money? Now, obviously, Brad put in a lot more. He put in over $91,000 when Sue only put in $21,600. But with the same assumed rate of return between the two of them, Sue has, at age 68, $2,349,510, where Brad has $1,377,445. So she is a million dollars almost ahead of him and put in way less money. She put in $70,000 less money than what he did, but it is that time value of money. So Jackson, that's the reason that we would not fully focus on just attacking the debt. We do want you to be debt free, but we're trying to find balance in how you allocate these dollars for an overall like holistic lifetime view of the best utilization of your dollars.
1: Yeah, and the other point to wrap this up, I think, is we're talking about current debt, but if you avoid future debt, the reality is you're going to pay that off in less than 10 years. We use 10 years as an example, and it still makes financial sense if you did pay it off over a 10-year period, but you should be able to create more margin in your life financial margin between now and then and throw a lot more at it without pulling it from what you're putting in the Roth
2: yeah yeah I mean you get raises over the years if you if you I always tell people if you get a raise you know do something to enjoy that but don't absorb a hundred percent of that in just your new higher standard of living be sure that you're putting some of it towards your future standard of living and that in this case could be used to pay down the debt
1: Yeah, and that's key to keep that discipline. As you get those raises, don't increase your lifestyle by getting a bunch of new debt that puts pressure on that retirement contribution. Jackson, thanks for the question. If you've got questions for our show, I'll tell you again the number. You can call and leave a voicemail, or you can just text it like Jackson did, 501-381-5228. That's the number to get the questions to us. Or if you'd prefer to send us an email, just send it to show at GetReadyForTheFuture.com. Next up, it's Michaela from Little Rock. I recently found out that both of my parents in their late 40s have nothing saved for retirement. They each had different 401ks from previous employers and cashed out after leaving every job. My dad is a small business owner now and the likelihood of me getting him to file paperwork to open up a retirement account for the business is slim. What are the accounts that he can open up for himself? And if I were to convince him to open retirement plans for the business, which would be the best accounts, considering he is a one-man operation? Michaela, thanks very much. Lots of opportunities here for your dad. So that's the good news. Bad news is, and this is for everybody else listening, too, because I obviously don't want to beat a dead horse. It happened. He cashed out the 401ks. But the reason that is something you don't want to do is because if you are not 59 and a half, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a 10% penalty just for pulling out. So if you pull out $100,000, bam, $10,000 off the top in penalties. And then you've got the tax situation because more than likely, the 401k was pre-tax made or created with pre-tax contributions. And so those have to come out and are taxed as ordinary income. So depending on what your overall income is, you could potentially be getting hit 30, 35, maybe even 40 percent on the overall uh, penalties and taxes on your withdrawal. And then you have the lost growth, which was pointed out in the question right before uh, when we talked about having that money in and staying invested for a long period of time. You've lost that if you've cashed out. So of the options of a 401k, we would certainly discourage that. But again, to Michaela's point, what's happened, happened. So let's Move forward from there. Nothing saved for retirement in your 40s can be a very scary thing. But again, Janet, he as a small business owner of a one-man operation has lots of options.
2: Uh, Absolutely. So one of the things that she asks are what are the accounts that he can open up for himself? And then there was this shift to focus on from the business aspect. So we're going to approach this that way. We're going to look at personal accounts that could be opened regardless of whether he's a business owner or not, and then we're going to shift to what could be done because he is a business owner. So on the personal side, if he wanted to go that route, there's Roth and or traditional IRAs. Uh, I said and or because technically you could do a little bit in both, but I would make the decision of which one to to go with. And we look at that Uh, if you qualify to contribute to either one based on your income. We look at that then, then based on a time horizon to retirement. And if you're more than five years out, we would go with the Roth because it's going to give you that tax-free growth over time. And so obviously he does have that longer time horizon. So as long on an income basis, as long as he qualifies to contribute to the Roth, that's the direction we would go. So there's an opportunity to contribute $7,000 a year in that direction. And then there's a $1,000 uh, for over 50 and up. Those who, who fall into that age group, you can contribute an additional $1,000. And then there's also non-qualified accounts. So let's talk, Scott, a little bit about the tax treatment on Roth and traditional and non-qualified. A lot of times people will ask us, well, are your Roth investments good or, you know, something like that, because they think that 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 title is tied to the type of investment. Let me be very clear that whether it's Roth or traditional or non-qualified, you can have really any type of investment. Those other labels that I just went through are really only the tax distinction on it. So with a Roth, you're going to contribute after-tax dollars, and that money grows tax-deferred, and, t- and it's tax-free. If you wait until retirement to withdraw that, you're going to have access to that growth tax-free. With the traditional IRA, you're going to get your tax break at the beginning rather than the end. So you can take a deduction on whatever amount you're contributing, but when you withdraw in retirement, that's going to be taxable to you. With non-qualified, there's not a tax break. So it doesn't qualify for a, for special tax treatment. That's where we get the name non-qualified. So think about things even like your checking account or your savings account. Not that those are investments, but they are non-qualified accounts. They don't qualify for special tax treatment. So you're going to put the money in you're going to get a 1099 for whatever interest is earned in that each year moving forward. So non-qualified accounts are also an option. And there's obviously there's no limit on how much you can contribute there.
1: So that's the personal side. So that goes for anybody that's an that earns income, right? But as a small business owner, and particularly the fact that you've told us, Michaela, that your dad is a one man operation, there are some really attractive options to get some money into retirement accounts. And I know that When you're a small business owner, you're focused almost exclusively sometimes on growing the business and making money today, making money this year, the revenue side of that. But you got to consider your exit plan. And this can be a great opportunity to get some money into retirement accounts. So let's talk about if you're a high earner, a great option could be a death. Uh, I said death. Def- defined benefit. I saw the D there. Death
2: is not necessarily Death's, a great option. No, I don't know. that's,
1: that's going to happen. We don't know it when. Uh, a defined benefit plan. So you, you may have heard that phrase before. And what do you think of when you hear it? Probably a pension, right? Because that's what happens when you work for a company for a long period of time that offers that pension and you get a monthly benefit, a monthly check in retirement. You can actually create those as a business owner, and particularly if you're a one-man operation and you don't have to do it for anybody else, if you have a lot of income that you are paying yourself, you can potentially have really large contributions and save money on taxes now. So these are pre-tax contributions into a defined benefit plan that could be set up through a financial advisor. And then the contributions, the amount you contribute are determined by the future benefit that would be set up. So there'd be a calculation there. It's much like a pension in your retirement. That calculation would say, hey, if in retirement at age 65, you want this month and monthly income, this is how much you need to put in on an annual basis while you're working. And then you'll have that set up in your retirement. If you have questions about that, we can certainly help uh, Michaela's dad. We can also help anybody that's listening with regard to that. There's also a SEP IRA, and these are the probably easiest and quickest to establish. You can set that up very easily, open it. It can be self-directed. It's an IRA, but because that SEP stands for Simplified Employer Pension, so the money is coming. It's not really a pension, but it is an account that is set up and contributed to through the employer side. So as a one-man operation and a business owner, you can actually contribute up to 25% of the employee's income annually, it's considered pre-tax. There is a cap up to $69,000. So if that 25% of income exceeds $69,000, you'd actually have to be held to $69,000. And again, it's on the employer side. So it helps on both sides of the taxation taxation problem. You can put in pre-tax dollars for the employee and the employer is getting to take the tax benefit as well. The withdrawals are taxed at ordinary income tax rates, and a single member here is the key. So if you're listening uh, and thinking, hey, I'd love to have that as a business owner, the reason you don't want to have a lot of employees and get into a SEP IRA, uh, establishing a SEP IRA is because whatever you do for one employee, you have to do for all. So it can be a little cost prohibitive for an employer if you have a lot of employees. But it does work well. Uh, with a husband and wife team.
2: Yeah, we had a a very similar question last week where we addressed that as well. And so we we talked about in a, I'll just say a closely held family business where you don't have a lot of other team members who are not related, then it, it might still be an option. So we don't want you to think that it has to be a singular person who is employed at the company but that is oftentimes what we see. Scott, another option is a solo 401k. That one is, is not as easy and quick to establish, but it is another option that you have. And one of the advantages of that is that it does have higher contribution limits. Those, those can be a higher number depending on what your income is because the previous plan that we talked about is percentage-based and has those caps. So... This this can give you an opportunity to contribute more. It's going to allow for employee and employer contribution. If that's important to you for it to come from both sides of the equation, then that's certainly a possibility. Uh, The total on this cannot exceed $69,000. You've also got that catch-up for 50 and up, ages 50 and up. So that is a catch-up amount of $7,500 in any given year. Uh, And that that changes every year. But That's where we are for calendar year 2024. This is going to require third party reporting. And as a business owner, I probably just sighed in mentioning that because it's not something that I personally would want to to deal with. It has more fees and just more maintenance, I'll say, to have to pay attention to. Um, but it can save you in taxes. So there are some opportunities to look at, but that one is definitely the most high maintenance one of the ones that we have discussed today.
1: Yeah. So you think about Michaela's dad in his forties, nothing saved for retirement can sound like a really dire situation, but we've just outlined how you can get tens of thousands of dollars, whichever uh, plan would be ultimately right for you. It should be determined by working with your financial advisor, but you can get tens of thousands in on an annual basis. If you work another 20 years, Look at that. Look what could happen there.
2: Yeah. I, and I'll, I'll say as a business owner, I mean, uh, Wealth will be 19 years old this summer. And, you know, when we first started the business, we couldn't do a retirement plan. We were a retirement planning company mm-hmm. and we couldn't do a retirement plan for the business because we just weren't there yet. So I do understand that. But I'll say to you as business owners in general, not just to Michaela's dad here, but It's important to realize the growth that your firm is seeing, whatever your business is, realize the growth that your business is having. And at some point, you've got to draw a line in the sand and go, okay, nobody else is responsible for my retirement, but me. And so I need to take the time now. It's it's really difficult as a business owner to go, I'm going to block off time and do this. Anything that feels outside of the business, but this is for your future and is really important to take the time to do it.
1: So next question is from Chris in Springdale. My wife is a co-owner of a small business and we both work there. We're in the crazy years of our 30s with multiple kids, a mortgage, but no other debt, have a good start on retirement savings and feel pretty comfortable. What are your next steps? Well, Chris, thanks for the question. We would say plan because we don't know what you're missing until we take a holistic view of where you're at. But we can say one thing you didn't mention there. Janet was life insurance and yeah. that, that's a big thing if you're in your 30s you can feel pretty comfortable but that could derail everything.
2: Yeah, so it so everything Chris that you went through here uh it it feels very positive, mm-hmm. you know, uh, other than we're in the crazy years, I get that. But there's there's really probably some positives even in that. It just is what it is at this stage of life, but there's nothing there that you that you've expressed as a concern. But, uh, you know, we're just coming off the Super Bowl. Let's talk about there's importance on the offense side and, uh, and the defense side. We can't win a game with just one of those sides. We have to have both. And the same is true financially. So on the defense side for yourself, you have to protect if things go wrong, what happens. And so even though you might be on track financially if things go right, then you've got to think about if one of you doesn't come home, what happens to the other person and your children financially? So we would encourage you really to, uh, to do some due diligence on insurance. That's something that an advisor can help you with and help you walk through that number. I will tell you, most people who have insurance are terribly underinsured. Mm-hmm. They don't really think about, I mean, when you think about th- that you're in your 30s, what are your future earning years what is the the dollar amount that you're capable of earning for the rest of your working lifetime and it's a big number not that it has to all be replaced in one lump sum but most people just have a few years worth of earnings replaced and so you really want to be sure that you fully check this box to be sure that your family doesn't have to adjust their standard of living if something happens to you. Yeah,
1: and I think the other thing, too, is just because your life is crazy, it doesn't mean your finances have to be. And he's not implying that in his question, but it does kind of, you get this chaotic feeling of we're throwing money here, we're throwing money there. We feel good about our retirement savings, but this has got to be more than a feeling. We That's why we said plan right off the bat. You have to have something written on paper, on purpose, to show you where you're going, you can have so much going on that decisions on where to allocate dollars becomes vitally important, can make a huge difference uh, in where you end up in retirement or whatever it is you're saving or investing for. It is very easy not to be intentional when you've got kids going this way and going that way. So having a plan gets those dollars allocated where you want them and hopefully... If you are doing well, which again they feel pretty good about where they are, right. there is enough margin there that we can create some what I like to call planned spontaneity. So it's it's freedom with parameters, but you know you have a you have a budget for your spontaneity, as yeah. weird as that sounds.
2: I, I mean, we were talking, uh, you know, about just just the freedom to be able to do some things you want without going. But wait, we didn't we didn't put it in the budget. But if you have that wiggle room, my husband and I have for years had a line item in the budget that says fun money. Mm -hmm. And sometimes fun money is spent on a pair of shoes. And sometimes fun money is spent on more time together, whether it's a, a long weekend or a date night or whatever. But we get to choose that. So like you're saying, Scott, it's planned spontaneity. We planned a dollar amount. We just didn't plan the details of how exactly are we going to use those dollars? But I, I do think it's important to find that balance.
1: Yeah. And the other thing, too, you've told us you have a mortgage, but no other debt. Keep that up. Avoid debt in the future. And the other thing, is we talked about with our 30 year old uh, earlier in the show, you got to avoid lifestyle inflation. You know, mm-hmm. there's going to come a time, and it's easy for me to sit back now at 50, almost 51 years old, and talk to people in their 30s, you know, because yeah. it's been a little while. There's going to come a time where you get those kids out of the house, you get them through college, and there's going to be lifestyle inflation there because you're going to get a raise. Your expenses are potentially going to go down significantly later in life. But avoid that lifestyle creep or that lifestyle inflation while you have kids. It's very easy to see what everybody else is doing on Facebook They're going on all these fancy vacations. And again, allocating those dollars just because you have it doesn't necessarily mean that's where it should go.
2: I'll give you one that I think if our our nation, if across the country, we would take advantage of this one opportunity, we would be in a way better situation. And that is you, you get into this timeline where most people are paying for daycare for years. Some people are not in that situation, I understand that, but many, many, many people in our country are paying for daycare, and then they get to a point where they're no longer paying for daycare. Now, some of them use that and they go to private school, that's fine, but at some point that also ends. So either daycare stops and they go to kindergarten or first grade, or private school stops later on, at some point that check for that child's care or education stops, what if you started using those dollars moving forward? And and I'll tell you that's exactly what we're doing. When when my son graduated high school, we started taking those dollars and putting it back for for other kids for college education. So those dollars have always been in our case kid dollars. That may or may not be what you need to do, but you can take those dollars that have already been allocated somewhere and reallocate them wherever they need to go for your
1: next step in your family's plan. Yeah, but Chris and his wife are doing a great job. Congratulations on getting that far and get a plan together. Yeah. This is our question of the week. Congratulations to Chris. We'd love to send you a free Get Ready for the Future show tumbler For being the question of the week, just email us. Send it to show at getreadyforthefuture.com to claim it. Our final question of the day comes to us from Tina in Cabot. Can I count my commercial building loan payment toward my savings rate toward retirement, given that I plan on selling it at some point to help fund retirement? Is there anything specific I need to know about that as part of my plan? Tina, I'd say no. You can't count (laughs) the payment. Now, you've got equity and you're going to be able to sell that, but the portion, there's a big portion of your payment That is going to be kept by the bank. So, you certainly can't count the savings rate or the full payment as the savings rate toward your retirement savings. The math's not going to add up there because the bank's going to take that interest. The bank's going to take those payments. Uh, Obviously, we're assuming you you have a, a loan. We don't know where that loan is in terms of its payback, but there's going to be some interest due there, right? So, the full amount can't be considered the savings rate. However, the value of the building could be incorporated yeah. into future savings.
2: Well, and, and one of the challenges there, and this is somewhat true of other investments as well, but we don't really know what the future value is going to be of, of that building and what can you get off of that in terms of a revenue stream once it's paid for, once you transition into retirement, if you still own that then what is the value to you in terms of your retirement income? And Scott, one of the things that we've seen quite a bit since COVID, you know, when when COVID hit and everybody had to go work from home, then there were a lot of people who frankly never went back to the workplace. We have team members at GenWealth who were here pre-COVID and had an office space assigned to them. And they have never come back into the office full time because relative to their role, we now as a company look at that differently and go, you know what? You don't have to be physically in the office to do this job. So that has happened nationwide, frankly, globally uh, in this, this change of mindset about office space. And so I get a little bit concerned when somebody says, I own real estate and it's a commercial building and I'm counting on it to a certain degree yeah. for my retirement income because we just don't know what that's going to look like for you.
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge point because we don't know where the future of real estate is going to be. And you've really, in essence, put it into, we don't know that it's office space, but whatever it is, maybe it's a good investment. Maybe it's not in 20 years. So I think it would be wise to make a plan but not count on that commercial building. You need liquid assets. You need other types of investments. We're talking about diversification here. I think right. real estate is a great piece of the puzzle but if that's all you're really counting on is I'm going to pay this loan back and I'm going to have a commercial building and that is funding my retirement. I think that's the wrong, wrong way to think about it.
2: Scott, you and I both have real estate out outside of, of Wealth. We both have some and we're doing it in very different ways, but we both have that as an ancillary part of our overall plan. Yep. But, but the key there is ancillary yep. because we're, we're not counting on that. Uh, and we, you know, whatever we get from it is icing on the cake, so to speak. So, and you mentioned planning, yep. um, I I would encourage you really uh, to do two different types of plans or two different uh, completely unique plans here, Tina. One of them is to plan with the building, but to do that very conservatively in those assumptions. And then another one is to plan completely without that building. Um, because we just don't know what that's going to look like for you in the future.
1: Yeah. And I think the rental income there, the lease payments, the the income from that building could certainly be layered into an overall retirement income plan. But again, multiple streams, multiple sources of income, because quite Mm -hmm. frankly, when we talk about diversification, you mentioned the real estate on our personal side here, Jana. A lot of the reason that I wanted to do that was because I felt like I was too heavily concentrated on the stock side, right? Yeah the, yeah, the the liquid investment side, you don't want it all in one place if you can do that. Uh, I, I like the idea of diversification. So I think we're talking about it the other way here right? for Tina. Uh, it, do you have some uh, allocations to stock, to bond, to other asset classes um, that can be more liquid and that can provide you monthly income? Because that's really the retirement problem is an income problem. It is not an asset problem. Assets create the income, mm-hmm. but the overall plan has to be solving for replacing your paycheck, replacing your business income, whatever it is you're doing during your work life, you're going to have to create an income stream in retirement at some future date. And it has to come from all of those sources. And that's how planning uh, at Wealth works. And if anybody is getting close to that retirement, uh, red zone, which we would define as five to 10 years out from retirement, or if you're right on the doorstep and you need to walk through that planning process and determine, here's what I've saved. Here's what I've accumulated. How do I turn that into a monthly income stream? The gen wealth Ready to Retire process is what you need to walk through. And you can do that with an advisor. You can get the uh, planning started by calling 866-653-PLAN. It's 866 866- to start the process of going through the Gen Wealth Ready to Retire process. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about real estate, you know, we talked about the office space challenge that many people didn't come back from COVID. There are still other opportunities potentially in real estate. And what are the opportunities in the economy in 2024? And as we walk up on our final bell, I'll just make this part of my final thought then we'll go to you and then i might have another final thought and we might close the show different it's valentine's day right it's fine (laughs) we did a uh an entire webinar that you can get for free it's called the economic outlook 2024 a path through the forest and one of the things we talk about is real estate now we're not talking about hard owning buildings hard real estate We're talking about real estate investment trusts. We also talk a a whole range of other types of investments and where potential opportunities may be in investing and where we think the economy is headed in 2024. If you'd like to get uh, signed up for that to check out Outlook 2024 because it will be very uh, soon, it will be available. Visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash Outlook and you can sign up. Or you can even do it a simpler way is to text the word Outlook to that number I'm always giving out 501-381-5228. Janet, your final thoughts. So, I'll follow up on
2: Alec a little bit more. Uh this is a presidential election year mm-hmm. and in my uh two decades plus as a financial advisor, this one in 4 years, <laughs> this is the year when every time when we have a presidential election year, this is when people are like what's going to happen? What's mm-hmm. going to happen? What's going to happen? that is a lot of what is behind the purpose of this outlook 2024 that Scott was sharing with you about. So be sure that you you have the opportunity, you take the opportunity to get get this information about where we feel the economy and the markets are going because you want to understand that in a presidential election year.
1: Yeah, give give a little teaser. I'm going to give a little uh, they call it a spoiler alert yeah, right, on yeah. that, you know, you might think that it's going to be a bad year. Volatile, yes, more than likely volatile because there's going to be things happen that throws the market and investors for a loop. But overall, election years are not usually bad years in the type of election year we're having uh, this year. So there's a little teaser for you for Outlook 2024. That is all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. We thank all of the people who sent in questions. And if you have one, get them to us. 501 381 5228 you can call and leave a voicemail or just send us a text or an email to show at getreadyforthefuture.com see you next time
0: thank you for listening to the get ready for the future show if you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866 653 7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.